You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive, or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side-by-side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. Shouldn't you be at work? It's a lovely chip! Oh, it's a brilliant goal! From Lord Pohino! Still it's not away. Southgate shot. Milosevic scores! Now you know him better than anybody probably. Do you back him to score quickly, yes or no? Yes. Oh, Hello and welcome to the Quickly Kevin Film Club. I'm Chris Gold. Joining me on this cinematic odyssey, Josh Widdicombe. Hello. And the Barry Norman of the footballing cinema sphere, it's Michael Marden. Hello. God, that's a dream come true. Delighted <laughs> with that one. Are you a Barry Norman fan? I was a huge Barry Norman fan growing up. He was my hero, yeah. What was hero? He? What a strange yeah, yeah. hero. <laughs> well, because I was a proper film buff. Yeah. And on British TV at the time, and probably still now, that, that film show was the only accessible film content in, in, in a pre-internet what a world. Watch. What a movie watch no, for Johnny Bourne? No, that doesn't really count. He wasn't taking it seriously. <laughs> Barry Norman's end-of-year countdown show I'd record on VHS and I'd watch over and over and over again. Wow. wow. First book I ever bought was Barry Norman's Top 100 Films. Was Dangerous Game in it? <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, you, re- you read interviews with people and so- some things just stick in your mind forever. And I remember reading an interview with Barry Norman and someone asked him what the worst film is that he ever saw. And he replied, anything with Arnold Schwarzenegger in. Oh, really? Always sticks in my mind. Oh, wow. That's a, such a strange thing to dislike. Because Terminators are, are good movies. Yeah. Was this pre or post Junior? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, had he not seen Kindergarten Cop? To talk about off-topic, this has got to be high up there. Well, should we explain what we're going to review today? We're going to be looking at a film called Dangerous Game, which stars Callum Best, Darren Day and Chris Kamara. We had a a tweet, actually. need to give a shout-out to Ashley Gerlach on Twitter, who said, you have to watch this film. It's illuminating. So thank you for that recommendation. We will come to it. But before that, we've got a few things we want to go through. Firstly, um, if you're listening to this on the day of release, or the week of release, this Thursday, which is June the... 11th. 11th. We are joining the live show on Zoom revolution that is, you know, 
taking the world by storm. So what we've decided to do is we're doing a special Quickly Kevin show at 8pm on Thursday night. Uh, it is £5. It is free if you work for the NHS. If you work for the NHS, how can they claim their free ticket? Just drop us an email at nhs at quicklykevin.com and we will sort you out. If you'd write a thousand words that prove that you know that you work for the NHS or something, no, whatever. Um, There'll be various medical questions you have to ask. <laughs> Chris has also got a few ailments that he actually has sent back to you. You'll be asked to conduct an operation live. <laughs> um, shall we tell them what we've got in store for the evening? Come on, let's do it. Let's build some excitement. Okay, we've got, um, we've got two of our favourite ever guests are coming on. Tom Parry will be picking his... Uh, Worst England eleven of the 90s. And Ellis James will be picking his favourite Wales eleven of the 90s. Ellis is too ensconced in the world of Welsh football to pick a worst eleven. It would do his career too much harm. That sweet Welsh football <laughs> gravy train that he's on. <laughs> so we've got them both guesting. And then, Michael, you're going to um, amazingly play the game out on Championship Manager 97-98 between Ellis's wow. favourite Wales team uh, and Parry's worst England team of the 90s. Michael yeah. playing that out. It's either the best or worst idea I've ever had. Yeah, I It's going to be sensational. I'm so excited about watching a live Championship Manager I'm game. I'm so excited about it. Can well, I ask some questions? Are we going to allow substitutions? Are we going to allow tactical changes if it's happening live? No, I think we can't. I think it's just going to bog things down. So no, it's going to be. We're, we're taking the Terry Venables at Euro 96. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, so that's this Thursday, 11th of June at 8 pm. Go on our Twitter and have a look for a link to tickets. We should say that we have a, we have a small appearance at the end by someone. We won't say it is, but we will say. <laughs> you can't say that. That's like that's way too big a clue. All right. Well, what, what we'll do is, Michael, in post, if you beep out what I just said, but keeping Chris reacting like that, um, we're also going to be doing on the uh, on the night. We're going to be. We thought it might be fun if you've got any questions about uh, quickly, Kevin, over the last three years, like anything you've wanted to know about. You know, our experiences making it who we've met, who, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We'll be doing a kind of going live style uh, Q&A of questions that you want to ask. I don't think we've ever done that kind of thing before. No, so, your um, first ever peek behind the curtain. Yeah, Quickly Kevin machinery. Tweet or email us your questions for the uh, Quickly Kevin Q&A. Uh, the QK and A, we could call it. Uh, oh, my God. Lovely. That is wonderful. Yeah, okay. Um, so uh, one more time, how do they get the tickets? Go over to our Twitter or our Instagram and have a look for a link to our live show on Thursday, the 11th of June at 8pm. Also, you could just Google Quickly Kevin Live Eventbrite, and I think the tickets will show up there as well. Now, we need to clear some stuff up, don't we? I've, I can't quite believe that I'm having to deal with this. But this is shocking, this. This, this could be the most controversial mind. thing. This blows my mind. Has it been tweeted to us a lot, I imagine? It, we've got quite a few tweets about it. Set up, I would say, in the tens. <laughs> this is a fact I have known. That I have known all my life, and it was wrong. And I can't yes. believe it. Quite simply, Erinsborough is not an anagram of neighbours. I think it has an extra R and an extra O. Yeah, and if you does. have a look at that Erinsborough uh, Wikipedia page, it says it is almost an anagram of neighbours. It's unbelievable. It's like, I mean, I, I, I realised that I used it as an example of a fact everyone knows. And now I'm about to do a third one. But like, it's like finding out that Gary Lineker was 
actually booked in his career because isn't the fact that he wasn't right that's one that's a classic fact right we all know I that. thought you I thought you're gonna say it's almost like finding out Gary Lineker didn't shit himself against Ireland. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought this was a I, I'm genuinely gutted so it's it's almost an anagram of neighbors so yeah. it's, it's not a coincidence though right yeah I think it's close isn't it but the thing is about almost anagrams they're not anagrams no I know <laughs> no, exactly do you think they tried to make an anagram of neighbors but they just couldn't get a realistic sounding place name I think that's what's happened yeah I think that's definitely what's happened I'm heartbroken because one of my big pieces of dinner party chat is now Marbun <laughs> watch those dinner invitations just drop fall by the wayside now <laughs> Really, a lifetime of eating alone. Get used to it. <laughs> um, what do you want to apologise for, Chris? So I'd say, I, we've, we've said some pretty controversial things this series. Josh, who can forget when you said that you didn't really care about England winning the World Cup in 1966? Stand by. I said the other day that I felt like Gareth Southgate didn't play as much. I, I had it in my head that he, he didn't feature as much in Euro 96 that he was maybe a bit part player but he, of course he started every game and I, I knew that but in my head it didn't quite connect the amount of flack I've had about that comment <laughs> I know he played every game but he doesn't feel like a big player a big character in that there's not much narrative around him aside from the penalty aside from the fact that it's the defining moment of his career <laughs> yeah that's the defining moment and he's like what was he the fifth penalty taker Sick. in the semi-final the sick but he's not in anything. You think about Tony Adams, like, there's plenty of highlights of Tony Adams playing in Euro 96. He's, like, conceding the penalty against Scotland and being involved in up yeah, for headers. Yeah. Like, Southgate is a forgotten man. He's hardly, he hardly features in the highlights. So was he the second-choice centre-back after Tony Adams? That Was, was he, so. like, a late run for the... T- I don't remember Gareth Southgate, because he's playing for Aston Villa, right, at the time. Um, yeah. I don't remember him being, before Euro 96, the, the second best English centre. Do you know what I mean? Does that make sense? Well, it's, there's a kind of proto Sol Campbell on the bench. And you, you would think that Sol Campbell would be starting then. Yeah. It just doesn't, it doesn't quite add up in my head, which was the point I was trying to make. I, of course, know he started every game. I just feel you, like you this is going more, more flat. <laughs> yeah, poor bet. Have you heard of the Streisand effect? Yeah. Barbara Streisand had a, um, a beachside home that appeared on like Google Images, and she created she did a court case to say that they shouldn't allow the pictures of the, a home on Google or anywhere, which then amplified people's interest in what these pictures of a home actually look oh, like. Oh right, yeah. And that me me trying to justify this Southgate yes. thing, I yes. started to, it's the Streisand effect, the Southgate effect. You really should have not mentioned it, um, <laughs> but uh, you know. We, we can deal with it on the live show, but I don't think we should. I think we should draw a line under it now. Have you got anything you want to add to it, Michael? Uh, no, I'm not getting involved in that. <laughs> <laughs> um, right. Last last bit of social media business, Michael. Do we do we want to clear up? Yeah, you had a bit of a Twitter meltdown last night. There's... I mean, you, you say meltdown, I say I owned those, those Twitter trolls. <laughs> Tro- oh, no. tro- trolls is very harsh. No, I'm being very, I'm being very playful. They're not trolls at all. They're, they're fans of the show, and I love them all. So, uh, a gentleman by the name of Steve C7 on Twitter said to us, "Check out this link. It's a, it's a link to like the greatest chips and lobs in Premier League history." He says, "Check this out. Schmeichel's making a few appearances in this video, not as many as Richard Wright, who seemingly got lobbed for fun." I replied, "I'm not sure how Michael Marden will react to all this evidence piling up." And then, <laughs> here we go. Michael, I'm going to read this verbatim. Michael replied, one versus Fowler. It's clearly not a lob. Let's generously call it a chipped finish. And even more generously, the court will allow its submission as evidence. Two, no shame in getting chipped by Lagod. 
Three, P. Albert, the main case for the prosecution, at best circumstantial. <laughs> so that's the total of three you've presented here. My, Schmeichel played 807 club appearances in his career, 129 international appearances, 936 games in total. Based on that evidence, he gets lobbed once every 313 games. Astonishingly detailed repost. Amazing. There. I, I can think of another lob off the top of my head. Davosuka. Davos Suka at Euro 96. It wasn't submitted in that video clip, so oh, it's right. inadmissible currently as evidence. <laughs> However, if you want to include that one and the Pires one that was in that clip that I missed, that's five times in 976 games, which is still 187.2 games for him to get lobbed, okay? And I said this in, in another bit of the tweet, right? Fun little <laughs> comparison, okay? Let's say he plays 60 games across all competitions per season. That means he's getting lobbed once every 5.2 seasons. Now, he was the first choice goalkeeper for club, this is plural, and country for over a decade, facing the best opposition on the domestic European and international stage. So the evidence is flimsy at best, inadmissible in reality, and Peter Michael scored 12 goals in his career. Did he? 12 goals, okay? That is a goal every 78 games. So he is four times more likely to score a goal than get chipped, and he's a goalkeeper, okay? So no more perpetuating this nonsense, okay? Yeah, very good, very good. I'll give you that, but I do feel like it's the Streisand effect, and now all I can think is uh, that he got lobbed a lot. Well, uh, we're definitely going to get a super cut of about 400 Peter Schmeichel lobs now. Shouldn't you know? <laughs> The astonishing thing about that, you said Schmeichel scored 12 goals. I couldn't believe that. I looked that up last night. Joe, six of them came in the same season, 1985. What was he doing in that season? I can only was presume he, he, was a pen- for- he must have been a penalty taker in that season. That's yeah. the only thing I can think of. What, for Man U? No, no for no. Hiv- Hivdovra. His second oh, right. season in professional football. He scored six goals oh. in 28 games. Blimey. Maybe he did a Paul Warhurst. <laughs> he was punch. He was an injury crisis. Goalkeeper slash strike. <laughs> <laughs> Right, so, dangerous game. Shall we give a brief summary of what the film was? It is available to watch uh, if you've got Amazon Prime. Yeah. So if you want to go away and watch it before this, you can just watch it. And I won't lie to you, I enjoyed every minute of it. Um, I'll tell you one thing that worked quite well. Should we drop the trailer in? And get ready, let's go. When you have a player like that, you can lose it at any given time. You have to have an exceptionally good reason to want to take him over. I'd like to introduce you to our new centre-forward, Chris Rose. I've worked so hard for this moment, nothing I'm going to do to mess it up. Thanks for doing this, bro. Don't know what I've done without you. It's the money! The money, yeah, Hurry the money up. up! That's it, that's it. Rest of the cash, I know there's more. Stay in the car, don't think so. Go to the front of the van. But why would a premiership footballer be performing armed robbery? It just doesn't make sense. There's not really much else I can add to that, to be honest, other than I really believe that we can win this game. As long as we stick to the game plan and you all know your roles, you can come out victorious. Look, when we wear this shirt, we're a team. When we're out on that pitch with the Knights. Next week's game against Clatchwood. I want you to do everything you can with the moves. I'm broke. A lot of people. A lot of money. Police are baffled by a sudden escalation of armed robberies in the East London and Essex area. Call the police! No, we cannot get the police involved. God. Is this seriously happening? Listen, you two need to grow up. This is the Premiership! So, so to summarise, and this is the official summary... When Chris gets mixed up with some Russian mafia and Algerian gangsters while trying to help his best friend pay off a large debt, 
he has to decide if he puts his career on the rocks by embarking on a spree of dangerous robberies that could end up with him in prison or possibly dead. When I read that, I worried we'd chosen the wrong film because there's no mention of the fact he's a footballer, which is the key, <laughs> key central bit. It stars Callum Best wow. as yeah. a footballer, Chris Rose, also uh, Darren Day as the head of Russian Mafia, and um, Alex Reed as the chairman of the football club, and Lucy Pinder's also in it. Uh, also cameos from Chris Kamara, Martin Tyler as well, and Ricky yeah. Raymond from TOWIE. I'd say this is the worst acted 90 minutes I've ever watched of anything. And I include nativities. <laughs> <laughs> it reminded me a little bit of like sixth form or like being doing your A-levels and someone's made a film. Yes, like with a it really cord. reminded me of that. It has it the really... sensibility, a real amateurish sensibility. Like you could have done this yourself. So shall we just go through the film? Is that the way to do this? Yeah. I did have a, just when we were talking about the talent attached to this project, we were ta- I was ta- thinking about this last night. Like what was the order of the, who was the marquee name who was used to get other people on board? Do you think it was like Callum Best or Alex I think Green? Callum or- Best. I think <laughs> Callum Best is your first, your first name on the team sheet, isn't it? And Darren Day heard that and he was like, I want to I wanna be on this money train. Surely Callum Best and Darren Day are mates. They must be. <laughs> They think, absolutely must move in the same circles, must well, they? Well, I mean, let's say it. There, there, are t- there is a lot of top shaggers on this cast. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've never really pondered Callum Best as a kind of person before. And, like, he's, he's a very, very good-looking man. And I've got it on good authority that he came across very well on Celebrity Big Brother. But it must be weird being George Best's son and trying to kind of live your own life out of his shadow. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I wondered as well how good he he is at football. Well, we'll come to that. He's not. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's not. <laughs> so like like we said, this, this film is on Amazon Prime. And one of the things I noticed when I was searching for this on Amazon Prime is I pretty much had to type out the entire film title for it to come up on Autosuggest, <laughs> which tells me that, which, which hasn't happened in a long time. <laughs> Which tells me this isn't being searched for very often. I think it will be after this. I'd I'd highly recommend going to watch. Do you, I was watching this and I was thinking. I'm presuming it didn't have a cinematic release, did it? It and did so, have a it did have a premiere because when you go on IMDb and look out um, the trivia or the the, um, the reviews for this, the top review is someone called Arbenti, who uh, title of the review is absolutely horrendous film. And he said, I was unfortunate to pay good money to go and see the premiere of this. What a complete hey. waste of money, time and effort and a night I lost that I can never get back. I, right, <laughs> I've got a few things to pick with this person. I think, realistically, when you see the cast and the description, I don't think you can in any way claim that you've been missold yeah. the film. You are, you are completely to blame. If you go into this film <laughs> expecting anything other than this film, the joke's on you, you're an idiot, sorry. <laughs> Well, he mentioned in this review as well that he said, um, and I can assure you the much lauded after party was just as dreadful. I would imagine (laughs) these are people who know how to party. So you'd think the after party would be sensational. I love that the the after party is much lauded, like it's it's Woodstock or something. (laughs) (laughs) The dangerous game premiere after show gets to go down as one of the most famous parties of all time. Much lauded. Do you think Wayne Lineker was there? Well, well the guy, one of the guys who produces this film, Amar Atatia, I think his name is, he's the best friend of Callum Best. And I had a look at his Twitter. He is followed by Wayne Lineker. Yes. Who part, 
it's obviously part of this gang. Just on the, the reviews, um, looked up a couple of reviews for this. The Independent, the headline is, Dangerous Game, in a genre full of terrible films, we may have found the worst football film ever made. <laughs> and then the subheading, from Darren Day as a Russian mafia boss to some reality TV no mark as the detective, this couldn't have gone much worse. So... Can I just, one more thing I pondered when I was watching it is, um, and then we will start on the plot. Do you think Mark Kermode has watched this film? <laughs> like, is this a film that I've seen that Mark Kermode, yes. who's seen every film, hasn't? Yeah. I, but he's seen every film, No, right? he hasn't seen every film. I, do, I don't think this would be on his rounds. I don't think this falls under his remit. You're telling me Mark Kermode and uh, Simon Mayo are sat there and they get an offer to interview Callum Best. They're gonna they're gonna bite their hands off. <laughs> Finally, sprinkle some bloody stardust on Five Live. <laughs> um, so this is a film that Mark Kermode hasn't seen. I enjoyed it. It's terrible. There's no doubt about that. I don't think I'm savaging it un- unnecessarily. But of the football films we've watched, it's definitely the one that went the quickest for me. It goes at a real pace. It goes at such a pace, actually, that some of the scenes, it felt like they were saying it quickly to get it go. <laughs> it, felt, it felt like, you know, like if there's a day's filming and they've got like, they need to wrap in a minute. Yeah. And it felt like the way they've addressed that isn't to do less camera angles. It's just to say the lines faster. <laughs> the film begins with a robbery. We see yes. um, Ka- Callum Best and his mate, Adam Chopra. They jump out of a van wearing football masks and they start to rob a van. But then suddenly we flip back and it's uh, the past, <laughs> nondescript yeah. time in the past. And young Callum Best and his mate, and, and they're challenged to a game of one-on-one football and Ka- young Callum Best scores and beats his other guy. Well, can we can we just touch on a couple of things quickly before that? The first of which is, and this happens a lot in the film, it's a really sort of prescriptive way of getting around what are essentially continuity and plot holes. The first of which is, obviously, Callum Best has an LA accent. He has an American accent, which is always quite sort of weird because you just assume he's British or, you know, his dad's George Best. But the way they get around that is just to go, oh, you've only just moved here. Like, I can't believe there's soccer pitches everywhere. Oh, yeah. But it's sort of the mum... (laughs) who is clearly not American, has put on this appalling fake American accent purely, purely to explain the fact that you're going to see the adult version of this kid who is speaking American. And that happens so many times throughout the film where they're like, we can't explain this. Let's explain it in a really prescriptive, clunky, expositional line of dialogue. Chris, where are you going, you little scrout? You're not going out without Adam Chopper. You've got homework to do. Let's go. See you later, Mom. Christopher, come back here, you little shit. You wait till your father hears about this. I give up. I really do. It's so cool that you've got soccer pitches in every park Chris, here. You live here for a year now. It's football. No one calls it soccer. Or they just do it with like narration. Like there's a few times where a character will just narrate exactly what's happened because it's obviously too confusing to yeah. figure out yourself. <laughs> There's so much speaking the plot. Yeah. Uh, like, so much speaking the plot. And also there's news that you see news bulletins to speak the plot as well. Yeah, and yeah. also those news bulletins, they're just on someone's telly, like you're in someone's lounge. But you don't, you're never told where you are or who's watching it. It's just like what looks like an old couple sat watching telly. Yeah, it's the it's, it's the um, those two drunk posh people from Gogglebox. Yeah. <laughs> 
the news reports like feature news that you would never hear spoken about in a news broadcast. Like, so Callum Best has a rivalry with another footballer. They had gotten at like a fight once on a pitch, and there's a whole like two minute feature piece about this fight they've got in yeah. over the weekend. Yeah, it just wouldn't make the news. Well, also, it would make the news if it was a big thing you were going to see, but they build up that clip and you're like, oh, hello, we're going to cut to something yeah. a bit tasty here, expecting, you know, a Roy Keane style kind of career end yeah. tackle. And it's like a mild push. What's strange is that there's so much made of him and his rival footballer not getting on in the same team. But the fact of the matter is that must be a daily thing in football as in any workplace. Yeah. And it never makes the news. It's not a thing. Didn't like um, Andy Cole and Teddy Sheringham, they like didn't yeah. even speak. Famously didn't get on, yeah. But that was never a news story. Anyway, so the, it starts. So he's playing for Lufford FC, I think it is. Yeah. And he's looking to get a transfer to East Stratford, who are called nicknamed the Knights. Can I just say on this, old East Stratford are the Black Knights, right? And they wear black as a football kit, which is unheralded, right? Fair enough, fine. However, the fans all sport blue and white scarves. <laughs> <laughs> um, do, you, do you think that team, do you think the Knights are supposed to be West Ham, Chris? Yeah, I think they are supposed oh, gee, to be I West never, No, I never made that connection. Yeah, but, but the thing Stratford. is, it's all shot around uh, Crystal Palace's ground. So yeah. I, I was thinking, oh, it's Southwest Park. Maybe they're just meant to be Palace, but obviously they're called East Stratford. I, I think it is meant to be West Ham. I mean, the, the fact it's at the Crystal Palace Stadium is another problem because the seats are a third colour. They, they wouldn't have red <laughs> seating if they wore black and their scarves are blue and white, which in itself is a problem. So um, so he goes into transfer negotiations with East Stratford and you see him in the boardroom with the East Stratford chairman, Alex Reed. Yeah. All right, performance. I thought he's he's not bad. Not a I bad actor. You... If this was the, the like Premier League of acting, I think he's he's probably hovering around the relegation zone. Yeah, he's but not the worst. He's it? not the worst. He's, he has some ability. You can see maybe in a, in a, there is a world in which he's at that top table. Yeah, I, I'd say when Darren Day turns up, that's that's how it's fucking done, mate. I've always <laughs> I've always wondered what Darren. I've always thought Darren Day was a bit of a kind of nebulous. I don't quite know why he was famous kind of person. A Shane Ritchie character. Yeah, but Shane Ritchie, I think, has got a lot more going. Like, Shane Ritchie is a good host. He's good in EastEnders. Darren Day was primarily a love rat. But this (laughs) has really shown, like, he's got the chops when he's opposite Callum Best. (laughs) So Chris Rose signs for East Stratford. Um, Then we cut to a scene of his mate Adam waking up in bed. And this, this guy looks about 40. He's... Bed covers are all footballs. He gets up and there's cans of beer all over his flat. It's kind of implied oh that this God. guy is an absolute layer. He gets out of bed and then goes and drinks from a can of lager that's sat on his windowsill. No one. <laughs> Bear in mind that he doesn't drink for the rest of the movie. So it's not like he's an alcoholic character. You never see him really, apart from in the, like a bar scene, he'll have a drink. It's not like, oh, and there's this character who's an alcoholic. He just drinks... The dregs from an old beer can, which I don't believe anyone has ever done when they've woken up. Like, it's just not a thing, surely. And so then some shady characters look like two people from The Matrix. They're dressed in all black, knock at his door, and he jumps out the back window, down the stairs, jumps a fence, and then runs away. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, these we should say these are two uh, sort of Russian, low-level kind of Russian mobster hitmen types. One, One man and one woman. The man who... I don't know why never he never takes his glasses off, sunglasses off at any point. Even later on the film when it's pitch black at night, 
he's still got his sunglasses on. One thing that really made me laugh when I realised it is that all the baddies wear all black. So like, yeah. when Darren Day turns out he's wearing a black leather jacket, these two henchmen, they're dressed like black leather clothes. Because they're a fan of old East Stratford. <laughs> I'd, I'd say that the female Russian henchman has one of the all-time worst Russian accents. <laughs> Little boy, do you know where Adam Chopra lives? I, I was thinking, where have I seen this? What, who do these Russian mafia remind me of? What characters from what great piece of fiction before? And I think they, they are straight out of the second Steve Bruce book. <laughs> There are a lot of parallels, I think, with this this film and that book. Then, have we seen him sign for the team yet? So he signs for East Stratford and he's unveiled down the side of a pitch while all the other teammates are lined up down the pitch in the kit. There's a few press people there and the chairman announces Chris Rose has signed. The only time like a team would kind of gather like that is like, when a legendary manager quit, like like when Michael Jordan does that press conference where he retires in the last dance and like the team are there, but you would never for the signing of a player. And all the players are surprised. They're like, they're, they're finding about, out about it with everyone else. So they're yeah. like, there's a few like shocked faces, but there's a great scene just before he's unveiled to the rest of his team where he's chatting to his agent and his agent <laughs> says to him, uh, well, you're here now, you're here at East Trafford. I know that working here has always been your dream. Just keep smiling. And then he goes off and meets the team. That line of dialogue becomes important when it is revealed that his rival, the guy he's been fighting with previously, has also been signed to join the same team. And and, and Chris Rose is surprised to see this rival yeah. sign. But then we get that same bit of dialogue that happened about 40 seconds before, replayed like it's in his head. Like, <laughs> just keep smiling, just keep smiling. <laughs> It's, it's a bizarre trick to play on a new player. I don't think any new player has ever been surprised in their unveiling by another player turning up to be unveiled. And then we cut to a torture scene. So those, those two <laughs> Russian gangsters yeah. who turned up at Adam's door and made him run away, they're torturing someone. It's not really specified what this what's going on here. One of the, the girl... Uh, henchman with a terrible Russian accent uh, sits astride him, kind of does a, some sort of sexy torture on him. And there's yeah. a weird bit of dialogue there in which she's accused of being someone's girlfriend and she reacts violently to that. But then she gets a drill, moves the drill towards his head and you can hear the drill start turning, but you can clearly see the drill is not moving. Yes, you can. <laughs> I've forgotten about that. Although she does say the line, and I, I, when she started saying it, I was like, she's not going to say it, is she? And she goes, we can do this the easy way or the hard way. <laughs> like, oh, my, I wouldn't even put that in a first draft. <laughs> do, do, do you know what I thought as well? What is the easy way? Is she, gonna, is she offering to shag him? <laughs> because that, was, that kind of appeared to be the suggestion. She sat astride. <laughs> so either you shag me and tell me what you know, or I'll kill you and you tell me what you know. <laughs> It's so weird. It's so it's so what is the easy way? What is the easy way? <laughs> yeah, I didn't understand that. Um, right. So then, so we've established these Russians are baddies and that he signed for this club with the French rival. We then have a training scene. Oh, God. The guy, yes. the main, the trainer. So he's like the assistant manager or whatever. He's just wearing like a kind of hoodie you'd buy in American apparel. <laughs> Well, well, can, like a zip up hoodie. well, can we just touch on the kit? I think this is the first time you properly see them all wearing the kit. 
And I was fascinated by like, the crest that they've had stitched on there, the kind of club emblem. It says like 2017, as if the team was established two years ago. <laughs> Surely that's an oversight. Like, how did you go from formation to the Premier League in two years? Particularly as his dad was a childhood fan. Yeah. <laughs> Just before they go into that training thing, the sort of the team are gathered outside what is, I presume, it's supposed to be the kind of training, the, the kind of fitness center. It's like Carrington at United. It's like this is a Premier League team. It's the start of the new preseason. Everyone's turned up, but the building they're outside of, it looks like a rundown leisure center. <laughs> like this is these are not the facilities of a Premier League football team. No. And then when it cuts into that scene, there's there's another example of the sort of prescriptive scripting where he says, um, "Okay, guys." There's only a few of us here today because we're just testing Marcel and Chris's fitness. It's like, no, no, you're not. You've said that because you can't afford for like a 25-man squad to turn up just as extras. You don't do fitness tests on like two players and four of the rest of the team. It's madness. It's such a strange decision, that. No, exactly. There's a few times in this film where I thought, they're doing this with a nod and a wink because they know they're taking the piss. And that was the first time that happened. There's several more, and I'll call them out. But when he said, there's only a few of us today, I wonder whether he should look down the barrel of the camera as he says that. <laughs> like, break the, <laughs> break the fourth what, wall like, on that. Like, turn to the side like Miranda or Fleabag. <laughs> well, this, is, um, this is where we first get to see one of the few examples of, of football action. And the first time, and probably the only time, we get to see Callum Best with a, an actual football at his feet. And I, I wonder whether, in the sort of shooting schedule they had intended to show more of Callum Best with a football at his feet. But when the ball is past him and he controls it and tries to dribble with it, you can understand why they probably changed those plans very quickly. <laughs> he does not look he does not look like the son of George Best, is all I'll say. No, he's very much got Angie's football skills, presuming <laughs> Angie Best wasn't a footballer. He's not good at football. I was I was thinking this. He's obviously got... Because George Best and Andy Best are both very good-looking people and his Callum Best is a very good-looking person. Would you prefer to inherit George Best's looks or his football skills? <sighs> Great question. What What do I look like with his football skills? Am I like sloth from um, the Goonies? Terrible. Terrible. You look <laughs> awful. Oh, what's going what's gonna to serve you? I think I'd probably rather be as good as George Best at football. Yeah, I think Callum Best has chosen the wrong one there if he did have that option. <laughs> so then they have an argument, him and the... Uh, who's the Remy. French? His, Remy. Marcel. His, Marcel Remy. Marcel Remy. Um, they have an argument on the training pitch in which Callum Best slams him saying, did you have too many croissants at breakfast? Which is an <laughs> astonishing one. I know I've drawn drawn parallel to the uh, the literary work of Steve Bruce already. But there is a similarity in that these are films that are both attempting to weave from a football to a crime narrative and back. I mean, I'd say this does it better than Steve Bruce, because at least the two things are in some way interlinked, if you know what I mean. Yeah, they are uncomfortable bedfellows, that's for sure. No, There's definitely a point in the script where they just give up on the football aspect. I think I think it's the moment that Callum Best first touches a <laughs> football, that's when they give <laughs> Do you up. you think they were writing the script on the fly? <laughs> What's a <the> script? <laughs> Do you think it's improvised like Curb Your Enthusiasm? Yeah. <laughs> That's the thing you don't know about Callum Best. He's, uh, have you not seen him on uh, Whose Line Is It Anyway? <laughs> he actually studied at Second City in Chicago, didn't he, Callum Best, with yeah, um, yeah. Steve Carell? <laughs> when, he's, when he's with Greg Proops, he's on fire. <laughs> I would go, if Callum Best 
was doing an hour of improv. In I'd go every I... night. I would take the month <laughs> off. I would go every single <laughs> night. <laughs> We're going to get into it, but the scenes in which Callum Best is in a nightclub are his most natural acting performances. There's a scene where he chats a bunch of girls up. And it's the best acting he does in the whole film. Is that because he's got those experiences? Like, is it the Stanislavski model of acting? Where, because <laughs> he's so method, he because he lives that and he knows it. It's a really yeah. naturalistic performance. It's his best acting when he's doing that. Is he actually chatting up the actresses? He, he can put his mind in such a way that he wants to impress these girls who are, who are actresses. And that yes. actually lends itself to a better acting performance. I think you could get really into the weeds of like psychologically why he's better in those scenes yeah. than he is in the rest of them. I imagine it's also that they were filmed, it's probably just as simple as they were filmed earlier in the day, so they weren't doing that in six minutes. <laughs> um, right. A couple, a couple of scenes before that. So they're in the football training and Marcel Remy says something like, there's a bit of a fight emerging. Marcel Remy says something a bit homophobic about Callum Best, then implies he slept with Callum Best's mum. And then he says, I've got twice the deal that you did, Callum, like yes. Christopher Rhodes. And that, so then, then that this becomes a thing that this his rival has a, twice as good a deal as uh, Christopher Rhodes. And does. the deal is rubbish because Callum Best later reveals that he's on five grand a week, which is not obviously is a lot of money, but not for a Premier League footballer. He's 30 years old and he said, I've got 50 grand in the bank and I'm on five grand a week. What is he spending his money, on? Spending his money on? It's bizarre because if he's been playing, say that this is his big move. I don't know. Is it implied that he's moved up to the Premier League? Yeah, or that- I, think, I think his previous team is supposed to be a championship level club. So even that, though, he must have been on quarter of a million a year, surely, if yeah. not more. Um, there's an awful bit in the argument where Callum Best says to the, um, says to the Frenchman, uh, uh, did you have too many croissants at breakfast? Which is so bad. <laughs> this is meant to be the character that you're on side with. I was really hoping he'd say, it's the, smell of, the smell of those onions around your neck putting you off. <laughs> <laughs> so then we come out. They do the uh, training. They've kind of fallen out. There's a, there's a, a hokey news report talking about their rivalry, and then we get to my best, my favourite scene oh, in the whole God, film. This is mad. So there's this. I couldn't understand what this scene's about. So you, they, there's loads of press and loads of fans gathered outside the kind of the exit of the training ground, and the players come out, and then it's implied there's some sort of crush going on down the front of this the press pack. And there's a you see a child with his face pressed against like a traffic cone for some like for some small size traffic work. So they're digging a hole in the road that have like little yeah, barriers, little barriers, plastic barriers. Yeah. And this kid's face is pressed up against this traffic cone. And you can clearly see he is not in any kind of danger. It's like the traffic cone would fall over long before there was a crush. Yeah. And um, and then Chris Rhodes basically rescues him, says, Where's your dad? And then reunites the dad with this kid who's been crushed on the traffic cone. And the next thing, you know, they're in the stadium and he's having a chat with the dad and he's like, oh. He's kind of got on, he's felt sorry for the kid. <laughs> well, he, he says a line there when he rescues the kid. The dad comes over and he goes, just apropos of nothing, he goes, have you guys got an hour? And you're like, what? And then he's like, yeah, sure. And then it cuts to the stadium. He says to the, he says to the, the kid's dad, who does he support? And the, the, he, he, the dad says, he doesn't really support a team. He's just a Chris Rose fan. He follows you around your whole career. <laughs> Tug it on the heartstrings, like, where's this going? And then the dad drops the bombshell. He says, but actually, he's really sick, and there's not much we can do. There's some treatment in America, but we can't really afford it. And you just see Callum Best kind of think about it for a second, and then a hard cut to a different scene. 
Yeah. This storyline is then dropped right that's, through that's, to the end of the, the end. film. And I yeah. was like, I can't wait to see how this pans out, how they're going to use this. Also, the kid, it, they, they need to ill him up a bit. <laughs> Yeah, it says he's got a rare blood condition, but he's running around the stadium like flicking seats like an annoying old prick. <laughs> this kid, this kid is running laps of the stadium like a greyhound. I don't. If, if he's if he's sick, I want it because it's like he's sick in the same way that Peter Parker's sick. He's got like some like freakish physical ability. So then we have uh, the scene where Callum Best and Chopra go on the pull. And it's absolutely awful. It's, so there's three women in a club, a nightclub, and they go up to them. And I, it's just, I mean, I don't know. It's almost indescribably bad. That I, It feels like you can't really do it justice without just hearing it. There's still to discussion of him buying them Prosecco. The fact that he offers Prosecco as well, that really made me laugh. It's like, you're a Premier League player. It's like, do, do you want a drink? Like a glass of Prosecco or, or, or champagne. <laughs> So weird. Hi, girls. Um, I'm sorry. I know it's taking a lot of courage to come over here, especially when there's three of us and two of you. And although I appreciate your courage, we'd much rather be in our own way now. Got you three girls from Ireland. Why is that? So when I look at you, Dublin is what my. Is what those guys over there would have said. Girls, we just wanted to come over and offer to buy you a drink. Uh, if I'm honest with you, if we sit with you, we'll stop all those other creeps from using cheesy pickup lines. So can we offer you girls something to drink? Perhaps some Prosecco? Yes, please. Um, I'm not sure. Uh, Prosecco and champagne usually go straight to my head like I act a bit silly. Sounds perfect. We'll take a chilled Prosecco and five glasses, please. You are naughty. Do you never take no for an answer? I guess not. Thank you. But the thing is, this whole film has such an Essex sensibility. And yeah. I'm from Essex. So I'm, I'm aware of some of this stuff. I know it, I know it does go on. I, I can almost like feel the bars. It feels very like Faces Nightclub in Gansill. It, it does feel like a, you can imagine this scene happening. But then the, his mate, Callum Best's mate Adam, is basically having a nightmare. And the two girls like, like try and have a threesome with it, successfully have a, have a threesome with him. <laughs> it's ridiculous. It gets it's really ridiculous really quickly. Then it's the first game of the season. The, the team talk is leave your personal issues in the locker room. They haven't even played a game yet. They've had like one training session. And this di- dislike between Remy and Callum Best has kind of come to dominate them. Um, and then they talk about the first game. So Callum Best is then with the chairman after the first game. You've missed a bit. Oh, sorry. It cuts to, it cuts to a newspaper. Did you catch this bit? It, no. So the game, it's implied they lose. And it oh, yeah. cut, oh, no, I think it cuts to a newspaper on Alex Reed's desk. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. The headline, the headline of the newspaper is Worst Decision Ever. <laughs> <laughs> that's the headline in, about the signing of Christopher Rose and this Marcel Remy. I couldn't tell as well if that was, it looked like that was the front page. Well, the, the thing is, it's one of those classic newspapers that has been made by a props department that have never seen a newspaper. <laughs> so, so, like, the headline is, like, in completely the wrong font. It doesn't fill up. You know, like, obviously a headline wraps to the edge of a page and you've got to make it fit. It doesn't wrap to the edge of the page. I might even have an exclamation mark. Like, it's, some of it's in lowercase 
some of it's not, which you tend to have block headlines in a tabloid. It looks nothing like a newspaper. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't think there was an actual props department in this film, or or even any kind of script. Do you think Callum's scripture. printing it out? I, I, yeah, I think somebody on production whose job that is not is is printing out a newspaper. He's knocked it up on some kind of like Windows ninety seven Microsoft Illustrator template type thing, and it's just yeah. not changed anything. Because if the props people made that. They were not intending that to be shown on camera. No. <laughs> and this is the thing about like production value. Someone has to sign off on that. Because that like <laughs> writing worst decision ever, even if it's just like a little graphic designer who's on, you know, work experience, fine, that's a terrible mistake. But it's still got to go through levels of checks before yeah. it, it gets committed. Like the editor, you think like the what, director. You think it would even get to the point where if it had been made, they'd come to film the scene and they'd see the prop and they'd go okay, I think we're going to need to drop the newspaper from the scene. Yeah, like, or just film a close-up pickup of a newspaper on a desk that actually looked realistic. <laughs> um, so they talk about how this is the worst debut ever. Also, like a bad debut is just so not a thing. It like happens all the time. Alex Reeds is the worst debut ever, and then it's revealed that Callum Best has been tackled by his own player. <laughs> Remy has tackled him during the game. Yeah, and this Callum Best that's getting bowled out. It's like, why are you going after the guy that tackled his own player? It's so surreal. <laughs> it's well, when they're going out, this happens like every game that's played. You have the shot of them walking out for the game in the tunnel, and this other player, this Marcel Remy, goes out to Callum Best and goes, Don't get anywhere near me today. I'm going to score. Like he has a go at him before every game. So then we've seen, I'm um, sorry, when, when, um, Chopra wakes up with the um, two women. His house, the the heavies knock on his door and they repossess all of his stuff. So we know Chopra's in financial trouble. And then this is when the proper narrative starts after this, is when um, Callum Best is in another bar with Chopra and the Russians who are after Chopra come over and they proposition Callum Best that he needs to throw a game to make up for the money that Chopra's lost in his gambling debts with them. If you want to save some time and watch this film, just start it from here because everything that's kind of come before this, like this is where the plot starts, essentially. Yeah. Here's the weird thing about this film that it does from here on out. So his mate has got into debt and he has said, the people he owes money to have said, introduce us to Christopher Rose and maybe we'll do something about your debt. So he introduces him and the debt at this point, I think it's like 100,000 or something like that. It's a relatively small amount of debt that he's in. But the debt, every time they engage with the Russians, the debt goes up. By the end of the film, it's £1.3 million that he's in debt. <laughs> but in the first, it like, there's no, I couldn't figure out, is he getting more in debt as the film goes on? Or is no one it's paying two attention million to how much point, debt? Isn't it? It's, it's two, two million at one point, yeah. I've written down, like, it, it, it changes throughout the film, but it's always going up and it doesn't make any sense. It's not really, really explained why the debt is constantly no. going up. I suppose they realise that it needs to go up. I think it's part of the reason you get him being told that he earns five grand a week because it. the main what, issue it, is that the amount of money that he'd maybe need to get wouldn't be that difficult for a Premier League footballer to earn. And also, like, if it was a lot of money that was owed that he could pay off, it's like, how has his friend who isn't a footballer got into that level of debt? So there's yeah. this weird kind of balancing act of what's what's the middle ground. And I, you can comfortably say they missed the middle ground by a long distance. <laughs> yeah. Also, they, said, they say to him, like, okay, in order to pay this debt off, you've got to throw a game. But he's a striker. Yeah. yeah I mean, this is... How can a striker throw a get like? And he's just done the worst debut ever. So it's not like he's doing well anyway. 
exactly. so, so then we see he goes to his dad's grave and, and this this scene is important because he stands in front of his dad's grave and just explains the whole plot this scene yeah. is about 90 seconds of him just explaining yeah. everything that's happened and, and to be honest it needed it and then he goes to france on a date so he takes uh his girlfriend or the this girl he's met on a date to Paris, which is which is my favourite. Which one is my favourite sequence? Yeah, it's incredible. So it sort of comes from nowhere. At no point is it explained that he's going to woo her and take her on the trip to Paris. I think we just cut some stock footage of the Arc de Triomphe, and it's very clearly like some footage they've just got from Getty. They've paid yeah, like yeah. a few hundred quid for it. It's grainy. It's sort of weirdly cropped, and you're like, "What are we are we in Paris?" And then you get a few more GVs, and then you cut to the inside of a restaurant that couldn't be any more not Paris. Yeah, they tried. Just, yeah. It's the least French-looking restaurant that I've ever ever seen. It's incredible. <laughs> it's great as well because they try and shoot around it. So there's really close up shots of them because they're like, yeah. anytime a bit of the background is given away, you're like, this is not Paris. <laughs> Can I ask on this? So then they go for a walk around Paris, which is amazing. They see they go yeah. past some old men playing ball. Yeah. Uh, which I presume is in that bit in Kennington where there's a ball. Then they do go to so they're in a park that's got the Eiffel Tower in the distance, yeah. which I'm presuming has been just stuck on. I, right? I, I had to pause the film here because I was laughing too much. <laughs> Is it Ali Pali? I thought it looked like the hill from Ali. Yeah, I thought it looked like um, Hampstead Heath. It looks like some kind of park in North London, doesn't it? Yeah, well, the thing about it is, I mean, you guys have been to Paris, so I imagine a lot of our listeners have been. If you've seen the Eiffel Tower, it's in the heart of the centre of Paris, right next to the yeah. River Seine. It's surrounded by huge buildings. They're in a park on top of a hill, sat on one of those really like British green kind of council yeah, benches. Yeah. And in the sort of close distance are like what is very clearly British council houses. Yeah. There's no French architecture. Yeah. And then someone is just very crudely like, cut and paste the Eiffel Tower in the middle of this sort of leafy London suburb. It's insane. It's It's so so good. And then we have the sex scene, which is absolutely (laughs) hilarious. Which is fantastic. (laughs) I've never seen a a less sexy... I I think if the three of us who have never directed a feature film tried to direct a sex scene and deliberately make it unsexy, it would still be sexier than that sex scene. It's so mad. It was the first sex scene I've ever seen where I was like, I hope that the production team are looking after the girl on this... In the shooting of this scene, she like the production value is obviously a bit low. It's like I hope she's okay. It looks like it's filmed in like a grubby B and B somewhere. I just I couldn't help notice the skirting was dirty in that hotel. <laughs> it starts with her running up and kind of jumping on him. You know that um, when Palais celebrates that goal in the nineteen seventy <laughs> World Cup, you know that iconic <laughs> shot. Like, is it Jarzinho or ever holding him up? Being held up, yeah. So then we go to the match, which is when, out of nowhere, Chris Kamara and Martin Tyler are doing the commentary. How does that deal work? Because when you have Chris Kamara and Martin Tyler commenting on a fake match, it just feels like you're playing FIFA, doesn't it? That's one of those where Chris Kamara or Martin Tyler's agent goes, we've got, I've had a call, someone's doing a film, will you record this bit of dialogue? It's 500 quid. Yeah, and so then you, the game is... You talk about the problems with day and night oh. in the French day. <laughs> the game, we see a match, which is the match he's meant to be throwing. And the, my main issue is the ground is more or less a third full for a Premier League game. As the long shots are at night, whereas the close-ups are at day. 
like everything is wrong with it. it's it's the worst filmed of all the football we've seen filmed it's the worst i think obviously they're supposed to be a premier league team when it cuts to the manager's dugout he's got no staff no assistant manager no medical team i think there's one or two other players hanging around on the bench but the the manager's sort of bench is basically a recycled conservatory <laughs> isn't that just seller's part though <laughs> There's no way that's there's no way that's the real dugout. <laughs> they also do this thing that they do on Dream Team where they they shoot the football action at a really unnaturally high angle, so you don't get any of the crowd or the stand in the background. Oh right, to kind yeah. of create the illusion that, that this is an actual live game. Shot like sensible soccer. Top <laughs> <laughs> down. Um, uh, so yeah. he then scores the winning goal. He plays terribly throughout the game, and then he heads the winning goal. And then afterwards, they're all celebrating. They're kind of giving him the bumps in a bar. And someone says that he was man of the match. And it's like, that just wouldn't... He wasn't man of the match. He he played awfully, and then he headed in a goal. But obviously, that's got the Russian mob very angry. So then we see, is he with his girlfriend? He leaves, and they kind of get, get taken yeah. into a car by the Russian mafia. The, the guy with the sunglasses at night yeah. walks up with, with the lady, and they take him to a sort of abandoned kind of warehouse, garage-type place. And this is when Darren Day, who's essentially compared to Callum Best, he's Laurence Olivier in this scene, he basically just threatens him and tortures him and Callum Best pleads for his life. This character of Dimitri that Darren Day is playing, because he's Russian, he's talking a lot about vodka. And Can we actually have a bit of this monologue in here? It's at 45 minutes because it's just, you realise Darren Day is actually quite talented. Well, anyone who saw him host the last series of You Bet knows that. <laughs> you forget that, though. Like Darren Day, like you forget that certain people are, are celebrities because of their talent. And here you get a little showcase of Darren Day, and you're like, wow, he actually, he is a good actor. And like, there's the scene where he's, where Callum Best is tied to a chair, and he's been this threatening kind of monologue about vodka. And I, I, th- I, I was trying to think, like, do you think Callum Best was shitting himself at that point because he realised? Oh, this is what acting looks like. Or was he thinking, like, <laughs> is Darren Day actually mad at me? Because <laughs> it was, I think it's the first time Calibes may have encountered real acting in this whole yeah. production. My name is Dimitri. And you work for me. Where's Ashley? The girl. Who is she? Nobody. I, I just met her tonight. She has nothing to do with this. She'll be fine. I would offer you one, but how do I know what you say to me is what you really want? Oh, the game. Oh, I'm sorry I broke my promise. I'm sorry about the game. Do you know what I like about vodka, Chris? It's simplicity in purest form. I, I don't understand. It is very cool. Vodka is simple. Look at how clean and fresh it looks. No color. No cloudiness. Just pure. But with a bite. Do you know etymology of word vodka, Chris? No, 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 I'm sorry. It's okay. Not many do. Comes from Slavic word for water. Water. So you see, Chris, 
even its name is simple. After all, you can't get anything more pure than water. Then, then we have the business of vodka. We take a, take a peasant's food, the potato, and we distill it until it makes this, this pure, simple liquid that we sell for 100 times original value. So do you understand, Chris, why a man like me appreciates vodka? I, I messaged Josh about this before we watched it, and, and you said that you hadn't spotted his name in the credits. No. Josh Darren Day. So when he rocked up as a Russian mob boss, like what? What were I you didn't realise it was him for quite a while because obviously, you, like you're not thinking that that's Darren Day, and obviously I haven't really seen or thought about Darren Day in about a decade. So it took me a while to work out that it was Darren Day, and then I was quite impressed because I hadn't clocked it straight away. So you know, most of the celebrities in this film stand out because they're the worst performers in the film. So you think, oh, that person must be on like. X on the beach or something. But Darren Day is the only person who um, has got the skills to pay the bills, should we say. <laughs> um, so then do they, in this scene, they basically agree that Callum Best is going to have to pay them back £2 million. I think the reason it's gone up to £2 million is they've lost a lot of money on that game. Yeah. Basically, him and his, uh, Darren Day and his sort of colleagues, what, it's a sort of shady betting ring of Russian mobsters who who fix that match and bet heavily on it. Um, and he said they lost two million pounds which i mean i don't know the ins and outs but that seems like a lot of money to be spent on a single football match and if the only way you're gonna rig that game is by paying off a single striker the chances are you're gonna lose that money particularly if that striker's not that influential or playing that well anyway darren day and um callum best agree that he's got four weeks to get two million pounds they're then released him and his girlfriend and sort of dropped off at the side of the road and then this is also when they kind of they break up yes but it's such the mechanics of that scene are so weird because he says to her if you're asking me to choose football over you i won't but she she never gives him that ultimatum. <laughs> yeah, he, 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 sort, he sort of creates that ultimatum <laughs> for her, and then she she looks confused, and and he basically dumps her for creating an ultimatum that she doesn't give him, and then she walks off, and then he sort of mutters to himself, "At least you'll be safe." <laughs> because <laughs> she's like go to the police are you telling me i have to choose you or football what <laughs> there's, not, what there's the... no logic this scene happens on the side of a road like very similar to being john malkovich when they're just dumped on the side of the road <laughs> um, it's so weird it's then you see him in his house and he's like he sat down and he's reading a book and i've never seen a book look less thumbed in my life like <laughs> yeah. he's reading a book that is has never been opened it's a brand new book and but he can't concentrate on it because he's so stressed and so then they you see them do this first heist where they hold up the van while dressed as wayne rooney and david beckham yeah which is essentially that's where the that's the opening scene of the film isn't it so we've yeah, kind of come we've come full circle i mean this i'm sure they have issues with like props and costs and stuff but the pistol that guy's holding is is a starter pistol for for like a for like a sports day 
it's not it's not even like a proper prop gun i've got to say as well the film really ramps up from this point it is just constant stream of stuff happening and it made me feel like it's very similar to the in that way to the kind of the steve bruce books where you get to the third act everything's been kind of quite slowly paced and then it just you've got to rifle through so much stuff yeah. because it's just like it's being made up on the hoof almost or just packing it all in to, to get somewhere it's so weird so they decide they're gonna have to do a load of heists basically don't they? yeah a, a series of heists yeah so he does one he, he, they steal the some stuff out the van next thing you know they're they're robbing a, a also trainer like, shop they're robbing a trainer shop how much money is there in that well, can we can we just before that? So that first robbery goes okay. They get something like thirty grand, I think. They deliver it to the Russians, and then um, Callum Best's character, Chris, is it is like okay, we need to come up with a plan. So you sort of see this really really bad version of like the piecing the get together the plan sequence that you'd get in say like an Ocean's Eleven's film. But this is essentially Callum Best has gone onto his printer. I presume the same printer used to print out that <laughs> fake newspaper, and has sort of got on his wall of his living room or his mate's living room, this kind of map. Uh, and one of the printouts, it says in big red like letters from Microsoft Word, two million in two weeks, in case you forget. <laughs> and his mate comes in, his mate comes in, he doesn't know where he's been. And he sort of comes in, looks at it and goes, wow, Chris, this is really detailed. He's <laughs> <laughs> just really target on a wall. And there's also, no explanation you... where he's got this information, like what the plan is. It's, it's just... like blueprints, isn't it? It looks like floor plans from like Right Move that he's like downloaded. <laughs> um, and also, you think, God, what a, like, a trail of evidence! If the police were to knock on his door, he's written, "I need two million in two weeks" up on the wall. <laughs> Open, open and shut case if Ricky Raymond can find out about it. So it's sort of essentially, I think the idea is that they're going to rob a series of businesses that are kind of either co owned or front for the Russians' rivals. I think it's some kind of other Eastern European oh, gang. Oh, right. Yeah. The, the that... first of which is. Uh, they call it a really plush trainer shop and it's, and it's and it's suggested i think on a news report that they've stolen 200 grand worth of stock well they yeah they go they go in and they rob it and and it's like a how much cash is there going to be you know it's 2017 i think during this film everyone's paying by card so you're maybe going to get a few hundred quid no no two hundred thousand and the way they justify that is by going oh well these are really expensive trainers you know they sell for like two thousand pounds a pair it's like no no they don't no they don't who the fuck is making that up and who even if you've if you sold trains that are two thousand pounds a pair you're not selling a hundred of them a day there's no That's way sad. you're shifting a hundred pairs of those a day yeah. It's absurd. And there's like there's a few other details in that. I mean, the first of which is the guy Chopra starts stealing trainers from the display, just sort of bundling them in a bag as, as Callum Best is robbing the money. Like everyone knows you only put the right foot trainer <laughs> on display. So he's stolen a bag of like one footed trainers yeah, like, and only no, one of each. It's madness. But Michael, each one of those trainers is worth a thousand pounds. They're the single right foot. <laughs> So, you, so this is where he gives himself away because the the owner of the trainer shop rips his mask off and he gets caught on CCTV. Just, yeah, just enough so the CCTV can show it. I mean, even though he's holding a shotgun. Well, no, Callum, Callum Best puts the shotgun down to like put the money in the bag, and the guy comes over and lifts the mask off. But the thing that bothered me about that, I mean, there were a great number of things, is that Callum Best has got very distinctive 
sleeve tattoos on his arm. Yes. Like I as a as an identifying object, if you were a police officer, it couldn't be it's like you might as well have his fingerprint. And he robs these shops with just a, a short sleeve white t shirt on. Yeah. So like they're they're looking at it going, is it him? Isn't it him? It's like you've got CCTV footage of a guy with all those tattoos and you've got the guy in front of you with those tattoos. This is lock stock, mate. You've got him. It's mad. It's not lock stock. That's uh, if only this was lock stock. <laughs> um, um, yeah. So okay, they rob the trainer shop. Now you're cri- you're a criminal mastermind. You, where do you go? You need two million quid in two weeks. We've established. Where do you go after a trainer shop to rob? A cafe, of course. Oh, yeah, the, the, a greasy spoon. Yeah, <laughs> a greasy spoon at night. Also at night. Yeah. If you're going to rob a greasy spoon, surely breakfast is. <laughs> It's like Piccadilly Circus in a greasy spoon at breakfast. So they go in the they go in the oh, can I just say, no. before the greasy spoon you get an amazing line, which is when he sends to his friend, he says, You know what they say? His mate's like thanking him. He says that well, you know what they say. A friend helps you move. A true friend helps you with a dead body. <laughs> it's such a weird moment. Oh God! Yeah, we also there's a scene where we see they're, they're handing the money over, and you see Darren Day in his lair, and they're all, all the baddies are gathered around a table, and they're all wearing black, and there's like a can, like a lit candelabra. It's so good. Um, so um, then he gets pulled in for a police interview because they recognise him, and he lies so much. It's 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 pathetic police interview. Well, well, when they pull him in, I don't know whether this is a thing that happens or not. They obviously they rock up to his house. It's really late. It's like midnight or something. It's past midnight which would just never happen. Like, can you come to the station? He's like, yeah, sure. And the policeman goes, yeah, I'll drive your car. And you're like, what? <laughs> so like he, Callum Best gets in the police car and then the policeman takes his car and drives it behind him for, for no reason yeah. other than this kind of artificial jeopardy that they've tried to script in the, in the boot of that car is a load of money that they've robbed and they haven't dropped it off yet. I didn't understand this bit. But but a policeman would never, he would get in the police car with his partner and take the suspect to the police station. It's madness. Yeah. Also, I didn't really understand this bit. So so Christopher Rose then, when he's in the back of the cop car, goes, can I ring my friend, let him know where I am? And he goes, sure, but you've got to put it on loudspeaker. I was like, I don't think that's a thing. (laughs) Then he rings his mate on loudspeaker. And then when he cuts to his mate, his mate is dousing a car in petrol. I know. I, this wasn't explained why he's dou- dousing the car in petrol. Well, that's the really... car that they'd used for the previous for robbery. Previous robbery, and he's yeah, he's got to get rid of it. So he uses sort of like coded talk, where he's like, "Oh, I can't make it into training tomorrow. Can you can you tell the Russian or can you tell Dimitri that I'm going to be late?" And then his mate is supposed to understand. All oh, right, the cops have got him. I can't, you know, I can't reveal anything. <laughs> Um, it's so convoluted. It's so com- at this point, it's like it's coming at you so fast. You're trying to stay ahead of the narrative. Then, it, so they, they, they're interrogating him now. The policeman's there. Ricky Raymond's there. They're sat down at the desk. It's classic police interrogation scene. And uh, they say, "We've seen. We've seen you. We think you might have robbed the place." And he said, "And he said, Christopher Rose says, oh, well, they wearing masks. That's funny because recently my agent did a deal with a practical joke company to make masks of me." <laughs> So weird. And also, I thought that was I thought that was pretty good thinking. (laughs) No, but it's not good thinking because because it's so checkable. Your story would fall down after one phone call to your agent, unless in a a twist of fate, his agent had actually just done a deal with some other mask company. So then you get also the detectives are pressing him, like trying they're trying to find out why he might be robbing places, and they say, "Well, the papers say you aren't happy with the transfer." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what? 
So, yeah. so, so you remember yeah. when David Unsworth robbed a load of post offices because he was unhappy with his transfer? <laughs> I don't know, who can forget though, what Pierre Van Hoydonk did in Nottingham after that? <laughs> so weird. So also, so the detectives now it's daylight. They've arrested him. There's an implied that they've interrogated him overnight. And then the pe- the detectives have been really pally with him, and they go, "Let me have a look in the boot." So his mate Adam goes to collect him from the police station, and it's like, "Oh, this is like it's like there's meant to be tension about this scene." He goes, "Open the boot." Then they open the boot. There's just a box with some bras in bras in it, and it's kind of like a wap 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 moment. <laughs> And the, the, his mate has changed them to get the money out of the brute, replaced it with some bras for a joke. And then it kind of comes to the final job. This is the bit where I thought, okay, this, this is like Sharknado. Actually, this film is taking the piss. For the final big robbery, Chris Rose has enlisted the help of his entire Premier League team that he plays for. Well, yeah. the thing is, we don't know that at the time, though. This is where I got really confused because there's this whole sort of speech that the coach does where he's like, right, you know, team morale's low, you're not bonding. Yeah, I you're want playing you guys. Well as individuals, you're not yeah, doing well but as a not team. as a team. So, what we're going to do is we're going to go on a kind of team bonding like day or night out, but I'm going to let you guys pick what it is. And basically, you see Chris, a sequence where Chris is kind of like whispering and talking to the players, but it's a montage set to music, you don't hear it. So you kind of assume that he's just going, you know, why don't we go on a go-karting or like a bowling night out or something? Mm. And then everyone gets on the coach and they all put on like masks of ex-footballers and managers. So you've got someone wearing like an Alex Ferguson mask and a, you know, a Gary Lineker mask. And you're thinking, what the, what the fuck's going on here? And essentially what he's done is he's he's convinced an entire Premier League team to commit a robbery <laughs> like he, they, they all get on a coach and they go and commit like armed robbery they like clip through the wire fence they break through security pull the door open and you're like what the fuck is going on <laughs> it's so mad it's so good so then you, you see them they're all putting football masks on and they kind of they look like they're entering like a big container and you're like oh here we go and then they don't show the robbery. You see the kind of build-up to the robbery. They put on the mask, they clip for a fence, and then it just cuts to Darren Day at a table and they've got all the bags of cash there. And so, so then Darren Day is just debating, and again, fantastic acting. He's debating whether or not to let them go. And his mate Adam goes, oh, well, you weren't going to let us go anyway. And he goes, yeah, well done. You've, you worked that out. But then he kind of decides, okay, I'm going to let you go. You've got all the money. Well done. Yeah, well, he, he, he Callum Best overpays him by 200,000 because he's like, I figured you weren't going to let us go. So, you know, I'm kind of buying us out of this. He gives him a tip. <laughs> yeah. 10%, which is fair enough, I'd say. Um, well, he's, well he's, he's, he's got a bit of cash in the bank since doing that deal for those practical masks. <laughs> <laughs> so then you get, um, then the police storm the place, don't they? Yeah. You get a lovely kind of denouement where we go through a flashback and what has actually happened. At this stage, as a viewer, we're not in on what has happened. We we think that Callum Best has dropped off all the money, he's paid off the Russian, and the police have stormed it and arrested everyone. And as they're brought out of the building, this is when we get the sort of the sleight of hand, the the rug pull happens. So Callum, you see Callum t- chatting to the chief detective, and as he's chatting, he pulls out a wire from under his shirt, and he's like, did you get everything you need? The detective's like, more than enough. These guys are going away for a long time. Amazing. And then and then you get the narrative over the top of the chief, like the, the chief detective, explaining that Callum was kind of doing an inside job all the time. And they actually take it in turns. Then the narration is provided by Callum Best and the detective goes, <laughs> who've got to explain why there was actually so an then inside job. Then you see a flashback to a bit of the police interview you didn't see, which is when Callum Best 
admits to them that he has been doing this, but he's been doing it for the Russian mafia. And they decide that maybe they should use Calambest to entrap the Russian mafia, which just simply wouldn't happen, obviously. It also, I still believe that Calambest's committed enough crimes that he's not going to just be let free. Yeah. <laughs> Hundred percent. Like, obviously, that the flashback is to the point where the police have arrested him, and the, and there's a line that he says that's like, you know, if there's anything more you need to be telling me, now's the time. But by that point, they've already committed, I think, three or four armed yeah. robberies yeah. for hundreds of thousands of pounds. They're not going to just wipe that clean. It's it's yeah. madness. No. And also, this shows clips of like the police helping fake the crimes. Like, there's a shot of the policeman turning up to one of these businesses and going okay, the robbery is going to happen tonight. Here's the money. You need to let them steal. Yeah, no, they're, sort of used, they're using like police evidence money and it's sort <laughs> yeah. of, yeah. The, the idea yeah. is that they were the men behind the men. And then he's, they say something at the end where it's like, oh, but then we kind of ran out of evidence money. <laughs> so we needed something else. And you find out that that factory that uh, Callum Best and the rest of his Premier, his Premier League squad went and robbed was a nappy factory oh yeah <laughs> it's, like, it's like what the fuck the nappy like, i don't you engineered a fake nappy factory robbery couldn't you just stuff it with like paper <laughs> like what the what the hell is going on so and then it was, the policeman says look we want to be after these guys for a long time we could have entrapped them but we weren't allowed to do that but it's like this is entrapment isn't yeah, it? That, it's <laughs> exactly entrapment. yeah yeah so we see them in a nightclub. Calamus is explaining to the team what happened, and he's going, yeah, "Yeah, it was all a fake robbery." And then you see Marcel Remy start having a go at, at Callum, like still having a go. And then Callum turns to him and says, "You haven't scored a goal, and I now know that you've been throwing games." And then the police burst into the nightclub and arrest him. Yeah, and Marcel, the main, the main kind of football rival. When they arrest him in the nightclub, everyone in the nightclub cheers. <laughs> They arrest him and everyone cheers in the bar in the way that they do when the barman drops a bottle and it smashes. It's like <laughs> it's like at the end of Teen Wolf when the goodies win. Everyone's like, yeah! It's so like, weird. It's such a needless storyline. So they carry him out. And then in the middle of this nightclub scene, Callum Best then leaves to go to a press conference in the front of like a town hall steps. So he walks out of the yeah. nightclub and he, and he does this press conference. I can't even remember what the... It, all he appears to be doing this press conference is announcing that he's giving a cheque to the sick kid who who was mentioned about an hour previously. It was reminiscent of, I thought, the end of Big Brother 1 when Craig announces that he's going to give his prize money to help his, fr- his disabled friend. It's a very similar scene. It's like they've decided to... Obviously, they need to tie up every bit I don't know why you needed the kid storyline at all, but they obviously feel they did. Maybe it's to make him a more likable character. You don't need Marcel to be taking the bribes. Like, surely a much better end to that bit would have been them putting their differences aside to kind of... That's what I thought it was going to be. Because when he starts having a go at him in the nightclub at the end, you're like, what? That... So there's no storyline arc for this just Frenchman who's mad. Yeah. Yeah, he does this press conference, gives the sick kid a check, walks off. His mate Adam comes about, comes up to him and goes, "Come back and party, mate. You've earned it." And he goes, "There's one thing I've got to do." And his mate Adam goes, "Say hello to her from me." He rings her up and goes, "Can you meet? We need to talk." She's just on the street and answers the phone in a dress. She goes, "Yeah, I'll come meet you now." Then this is amazing, and you've got to pay attention to this. She goes, "Yeah, okay, I'll come meet you now." And then a car pulls up next to her. The window winds down and you see a gun pointed at her. And then it cuts back to Chris Rose, who then hangs up his phone and a man comes up to him and says, are you Chris Rose? And he says, yes. 
And, he, and, he, and Chris Rose then walks away. The, see, the film cuts to black and you hear two gunshots. Yeah. Oh, so, yeah. So, basically, so basically... So basically what? They're all dead. They both get killed at the end. And that, <laughs> that, that, that guy who kills Chris Rose at the end, we've seen him earlier in the film. He's oh, basically, really? he's a hitman. And it's a scene where um, uh, Chopra is in the other house and there's this sort of low-level gangster type who knows the Russians and he's there with his girlfriend. And he's like, you know, you've got to get this money. He's like, oh, maybe I'll play some poker as the debts are escalating. And as he leaves the house, that hitman guy who basically is dressed exactly like Agent 47 Hitman from the PlayStation games, like black suit, red tie, shaven head. He says, oh, are you so-and-so? And he goes, oh, no, he's in there. That Hitman walks yeah. into the house and you hear two gunshots and then Chopra just runs down the street and runs away. It's never, ever addressed again. It's like his mate and the associate has just been killed. And then that's a Hitman that appears at the end uh... and basically guns down Callum Best in cold blood, shoots him in the back of the head. And then the film ends. You're like, so, what the what the fuck has happened? Like, what what I I was like, what is the moral of the story here? What am I meant to take? It's like I, I was so confused. I was so confused. It's so bizarre. It, it reminded me of like a, a classic kind of that's the sixth form kind of drama thing. You know, like just a throwaway bit at the end, just like oh, an yeah, extra bit of drama. Oh, they kill him at the end. But do we think his his girlfriend's been shot as well? Well, you don't hear the gunshot, but that is that is the implication that she's also done for. That's so mad, isn't it? So where do you think this ranks on the films we've watched? Uh, I enjoyed well, it the most. Yeah, I did enjoy it. I really did enjoy it. it. Do you know what? But I think it just doesn't know what it is because I think if it was just a nonsense, if it had some of the aesthetic, the stupid, the Premier League team coming to rob a place and the really convoluted, if it knew what it was a bit more, like Sharknado or, you know, it just if it just was aware of what it, what it actually is, I think it would think, be a much better film. I think it, they. I, I want to ask one seriously. question. Do you think when they were making it, they thought it was a quality thing? No, like absolutely. Do you think not. the discussions on set were? I think this will be all right. You know, I was thinking. You wonder about the egos of those involved and whether they couldn't look beyond the script because it was just such an honor to be involved with a film and to have to do a performance that they couldn't actually see the wood for the trees. Um. It's my favourite one that we've watched. Genuinely, I've far more enjoyed it than FIFA or the Pele one that was quite slow. And so, I bet that I bet like this one as well. They, I reckon they had a lot of fun making it. And it's just a shame that the rap party wasn't as good, or the premiere party wasn't as good <laughs> as had been lauded. That's the real shame. That is the real shame. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. You can watch it on Amazon Prime. How many how many Mitre Deltas are you guys going to give it? I'm going to give it eight because I really enjoyed it. Uh, yeah, and I don't imagine we're going to be reviewing really quality football films in this little series we're doing. So I think of the standard, I would say it's probably a seven Mitre Deltas for me. Michael? Oh, that's tricky because we've sort of shifted the goalpost there. If I'm judging it within the canon of the type of films that we're going to watch, it's probably it's probably a six within the body of films that we're going to watch. Overall, it's 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 a three for me. It's terribly it's made, but it yeah, it, it does it, it rockets along. You know, you're never bored. Yeah, you never, you never. I didn't come close to bored, um, which is more than you can say for a lot of films that we've watched. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, we will be uh, doing our live show on Zoom. At, uh, on Thursday night, 8 p.m., you can buy your tickets via all our social media. It has the links, and our website has the links. We'll be live uh, on Thursday, 11th of June at 8 p.m., the brand-new online live show, so do join us for that. And we should say um, the links for that event will be sent out on the day. NHS stuff will be sorted, well, probably by the time you hear this, but we've got uh, an email address where if you're NHS staff, you can get in touch for a free ticket. Chris, what's that email? 
Email is nhs at quicklykevin.com. Just drop us a line there with your details and we will sort you out after you've proven your medical credentials. And also those of you that have asked, um, the link to the show will be available after the show for a bit longer. So if you've bought a ticket and can't make it or if you want to buy a ticket but you're not free in that slot, you can still watch it on a kind of catch-up type scenario. There we go. And we've received Tom Parry's Worst England Team and it is absolute dynamite. So I look forward to discussing that. Robbie Slater. See you later. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday, I'm still sleeping. I also like Ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side-by-side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today.